It's time to get real with Robin. Join veteran broadcaster Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, as they delve into subject matters that most are afraid to talk about, but need to hear. And now, get ready to get real. Several nights later, he visited me again, but in a most unusual and really cool way. I was sleeping on my side when I was woken up by a noise. It sounded like someone bumped into my nightstand. The room was pitch black, but I could see this white light emanating from behind me. It reflected off my plaques on the wall in front of me. I was completely still, pretending to be asleep, not wanting to disturb it. I watched as this light traced my body, from my arms down to my legs. I was in such awe of this beautiful light embracing my body that I almost began to cry. I could feel the warmth upon my body, and I was overcome by such a feeling of love. I knew it was Cliff, so I wasn't afraid. The light had such a gentle touch to it, I couldn't mistake who it was. As I started to speak, the light stopped caressing me for just a moment. It's okay, I know you are there and I don't mind you touching me, I said. It began gliding across the top of my body again for a few more minutes and then disappeared. It took a while for me to get back to sleep. I so wanted this light to come back and embrace me again, but I knew he was gone. What I just read to you is something I experienced after my late husband Cliff had passed away in 2001. Yes, he was dead, But was he really gone? I didn't believe in the paranormal as a kid because it scared me. But as death became a very comfortable friend after having suffered so many losses in my 20s to 30s, I began to embrace the idea of our death merely being a transition to another plane and not so much the end of everything. I was being shown things that blew my mind and it changed me forever. I have recently begun to speak out about my ability to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. I believe that we all have this ability, but so many have a fear of it or don't really understand it. I know a lot of people don't think life after death exists because they can't actually see it for themselves. But just remember this, we can't see the wind until it blows through the trees. So just because we can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, I've been tossing around this idea of doing a show like this, but I kept putting it off until my dear friend and co-host Bob Jenkins said he had a ghost story to share. And with it being so close to Halloween, why don't we do a show? And, you know, I couldn't think of a better time to do it and or a better person to do it with. So I'm so happy to have you here with me, Bob. How are you? Robin, how are we doing today? I'm doing tremendously well after seeing your beautiful face and your beautiful tribute to 9-11 on your Mustang. That just made my day, my friend. I took Robin down and showed her my car a few minutes ago. It was, uh, that's, that's a whole different story too, but uh, I had it wrapped recently. Uh, I was on the 39th floor of the World Trade Center on 9-11 when the plane hit the building and it's a long story, Robin and I. In fact, we've we. You just did a show on this on nine eleven. Several with shows, Larry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I to pay tribute to those that passed that day. Um, I I just had my car wrapped, 
um, down at A&M Graphics in Mesa, and uh, it's it's powerful. It's it's absolutely it's a tribute to the to 9/11. It's a very haunting but beautiful thing to have that mural on your car. It's it's stunning and. You know, I've had experiences with 9-11 in a whole different way, but I'm so grateful that you're here as a 9-11 survivor because, you know, just getting to know you has been a beautiful experience. And it it really has made me appreciate so many things in life, knowing that, you know, you're you're just one of those good guys. And it's so awesome to be in your presence. I think the big guy had a had a purpose. And I don't think I know. And that'll actually segue into what we're going to talk about here today as well. Uh, as far as, as, as getting a message out and, and, and explaining to people and getting people aware. Awareness is probably the word. Yeah, and I think you and I both are cut kind of the same way that we don't fear death. So that enables us to live a much more healthier, fun life. We don't, we don't sit back and worry so much about when our time's coming. So... I, I can't believe I can't believe you just said that because I was going to pick up you. you <laughs> I read this. I, I read Robin's book on the plane. I went to Boston a couple of weeks ago for uh, my nephew's wedding, and I read her book, um, and cover to cover on the plane. And when I got off, I texted her and I, and I just said one word: "Wow." Um, first of all, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting into when I opened it. <laughs> And by the time I finished it, I was like, "Holy smokes!" Um, but one of the one of the one of the lines in the book was about fearing death, and um, I have come close to death several times. I've kissed death on the lips a couple times, um, and I have after nine eleven, especially, and anyone who's ever heard my story, I have zero fear of dying. Um, how I die might be a different story. I mean, like, I don't want to be hung up by my feet, you know, hanging out to dry for six weeks or something. But as far as the, the thought of death, I actually find it exciting. I'm kind of excited to, to go to the next um, phase, if you will. I kind of envision myself as bouncing around and flying around. I can't wait to go see the other side of Alpha Centauri. Um, well, here, if you beat me there, you can come haunt me. But just, I, I tell everybody before, you know, I've had some sick friends that passed away. I tell them, just stay the hell out of my shower. That's my private spot. Yeah, that's that's a place. It's it's weird because I've had spirits come to me in the shower. So Now, <laughs> let me read this to you because this is, this is I, I found this years ago. And it's it's really interesting. It uh, Let me read it. A poem by Tecumseh. So live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about their religion. Respect others in their view and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. Always give a word or a sign of salute when meeting or passing a friend, even a stranger, when in a lonely place. Show respect to all people and grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. Abuse no one and no thing. 
for abuse turns the wise uh, for abuse turns the wise ones to fools and robs the spirit of its vision when it comes your time to die be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death so that when their time comes they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way sing your death song and die like a hero going home Chief Tecumseh. And that sums it up. It does. If, if you live your life fully, the day that you go over, you don't have to lie there and go, boo-hoo-hoo, I wish I did that, I wish I did that, I need more time. Bullshit. If you live your right, life right, when you go, you're smiling. You're smiling and going over, quote, the great divide, because you did one hell of a job here. And it's I have funny. no fear whatsoever dying. I have no fear whatsoever. I'm 65 years old. I got maybe 20 years left, maybe. I mean, it could be next week, but, you know, I mean, I got maybe 20 years, and I have zero fear of dying, none. And I can tell you, standing before my husband when he died, just watching him take that last breath and then supposedly in a coma opens up his eyes and looks around everybody in the room, and then he expires. But the beautiful thing about that moment when he, you know, everybody in the family was crying that were standing around him. I was staring at him because I wanted to see something. I really wanted to see this white light that takes you away or whatever. The only thing I saw was this smile on his face. So in the middle of death, yeah. I'm seeing a smile on his face. And we actually took a photograph of it. And I'm glad we did that. I know it sounds morbid to some people, but... I'm glad I captured that because in his moment of death, I got the greatest gift of all because three days later when I had to go identify the body at the mortuary before they did cremation, he had donated his corneas. That was the only thing we could donate to, to help someone else because the body was so riddled with cancer. Yeah. But when I identified the body before cremation, that smile was gone. You know, the eyes were black and blue. Yeah. So he wasn't, and I know it's just the shell, but the fact that at the moment of death, there was a smile on his face, it brought me so much peace. And I don't even know if the family yeah. members had seen that right away, but they did take pictures of him, which, you know, I still have that photograph. And it, it, it just means the world to me to know that he died. And he actually, I call it, he beat the cancer. He, uh, went, he went back home and yeah. he beat the cancer. He knew yeah. that that was the only way he was going to beat it was to just say, all right, screw you, I'm out of here. Yep. You're not going to get me anymore, I'm done. Yeah. So that's, death is a very beautiful thing. Even in tragic circumstances, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we're all going to die. Yes. We're all going. So I'll meet you on the other side. Or you get there before me. If I get there before you, I'll come haunt you. Yeah. I'll be the, pa I'll be the passenger in your Mustang, how about that? Oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I do. Well, that's that. That's an interesting thought. A good-looking blonde with the top down of my Mustang. <laughs> What's wrong with that picture? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. I would be so honored to be in that Mustang. It's, that would be cool. That would be cool. Driving around Sedona with a ghost in my car. Yeah. Make sure you go the back way up though through Jerome. I like the mountainous Absolutely. curves. Absolutely. Top down through those curves in the forest area. And I can't scare a ghost, so it's you know. It's, Absolutely not. Well, no, I, I'm like Casper. I'm a very friend. I'll be a friendly ghost. Thank but, I, you. but I will be one who plays pranks. I've, I've learned after being around my, my dead husband being around me, I should say, playing pranks. Now, if I know we have that kind of power, you bet I'm going to have some fun with it. <laughs> so let's segue into that. Let's, let's go into some ghost stories. Bring it on. Halloween is right around the corner, baby. And uh, All right, so 
Robin and I don't script anything. We just free, free, what's free it called? Flow. Free, free flow. Free flow, yep. Okay, so I remember as a little boy, as a lot of people say, you know, I had night terrors. I had these horrendous, horrendous things that scared the hell out of me as a little kid. I don't remember what they were, but I remember having it. Okay, so fast forward. I was probably, oh, I don't know. I was in my teens, so I was probably 16, maybe 17. And I think I was in Westport or Wilton, Connecticut. And um, we all went out drinking, or a whole bunch of us, and hung over the next morning in this old farmhouse in Connecticut. And I woke up the next morning, and I'm lying there like, oh, God, I'm dying, you know, just hung over really badly. And a couple of people in the room were sitting on beds, and we're all, you know, we're kids. And um, my glasses were on the table next to the bed. And had to be four or five people in the room sitting around, you know, commiserating about the night before. And all of a sudden, my glasses just shattered. Oh, wow. Just, just on the table by themselves, and the glass just shattered. And went, well, that's kind of odd. You know, like, how the hell did that happen? Um, now that I look back years later, I think it was Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> I don't know exactly what it was. But that's like a, that's like a nasty ghost to break your glasses. Break. I mean, they could have just moved them. Could have moved them. And, you know, the, and at the time, I needed them to drive. So, <sighs> yeah, it was, it was I, somebody else obviously drove my car home. But so then I fast forward. I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I'm a corporal in the Marine Corps. I, uh, my parents lived in my family. I grew up pretty much in, in Stamford, Connecticut. And at one point when I was in the Marine Corps, my, my parents sold their house in Stamford and bought a house in Greenwich, Connecticut on, uh, on North Street in Greenwich. And it was a 400-year-old English, Victor- uh, English tutor. And it had originally been built in England, taken apart piece by piece, and then built as a manor house to a larger mansion in Greenwich. And then it was taken apart again and built where it stood when my parents bought it, which also was on the property of a school. It was a private girls' school back in, I think it was in the 20s, called the Ely School that burned down at one point. So my parents bought this old English tutor, and uh, I was coming home from the Marine Corps on leave. My older sister was going to school in London, and... um, my dad said, well, you know, let's bring the family to London uh, for Christmas. We'll go visit my sister. We'll go to Stonehenge. And his father and his uncle, my grandfather and great uncle, were Welsh coal miners. Uh, my Aunt Eva lived in Newport, Wales. So we were going to go do the English Christmas thing and all that good stuff. So I get home from the Marine Corps. I'm a corporal in the Marine Corps, stationed 29 Palms, California. I come home to Connecticut to this house that I've never seen or been in before in my life but i'm home and then i'm going to fly to london a couple days later because i wanted to party with some friends and see an old girlfriend and hang out before i went to london to see my family so i walk in the kitchen and i'm standing there my parents are waiting for a, uh, a a car to come pick them up to drive them to the airport and they're talking about the house and they went over that day um to visit the owners of the manor house excuse me the, yeah the manor house um to talk to them about where in England the house originally came from because if we had time, we were going to try and go look up where it originally had been built and what have you. So anyway, 
they're in there, they're talking to the owners, and the, uh, the cleaning lady, she was an Irish maid, walked in the room while they were all talking and said in her Irish brogue, oh, I never liked to clean that part of the house because it was haunted. Mm-hmm. Well, like on that note, the car pulled in the driveway. My parents see you in a couple days, and I'm waving, yeah, see you later, you know? It's like time to party. Um, they pull out of the driveway, and I'm on the phone with my friends. I'm on the phone with my girlfriend, and uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm home from the Marine Corps on leave. I, enough said. So I go out that night, visit friends, partying like a rock star. I get home pretty late, and uh, I'm raiding the refrigerator. And uh, I remember seeing the trash can was pretty full. And uh, I thought, well, I'll empty it. And I thought, I don't even know where the light switches are. I don't even know where the trash mm-hmm. goes in this house. I'm like, I'll do it in the morning. So back then, um, Robin, you'll appreciate this being a radio this is in 1977, 76, 77. Um, there was no such thing as digital. Everything was analog, and right. you tuned a radio station by hand up and down the dial. So I lived outside New York City, and there was a station called WNEW, which was 90, 99.9, 99.5 on the FM dial. It was right in the middle of the dial. And that was their, you know, their big thing. It was rock and roll. So I turn the radio on to go upstairs, go to bed, because I'm going to sleep with some music playing in this house. This is a big old English tutor. And uh, so I'm lying in bed, and I'm kind of fantasizing, you know, and I'm, I got jet lag, and I'm excited about being home and all these things, and I had a couple beers that night. So I'm lying in bed, and all of a sudden I'm hearing ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And I come out of my little fantasy world, and I go, what the hell am I hearing? And I'm hearing what I think is a heartbeat. Right. And I go, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Go back into my little fantasy world. Ba-boom. Ba-boom. And it goes on for quite a while. Well, this is also back in the day of vinyl records. So I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe Allison or Vince or one of the DJs had to go take a pee. And it's on and it's skipping. And I went, well, that could be it too. Trying to explain it away. I'm trying to explain it away. Well, but then... This little voice popped in my head and said, and the maid said the house was haunted. And I'm sitting up in bed and go, holy shit. So now I'm wide awake and I'm hearing this heartbeat, um, which truly scared the hell out of me. Um, I must have sat up for hours listening to this heartbeat all night long, all night long. I watched dawn come, pre-dawn, dawn, finally it got light. I get out of bed, I'm going downstairs, I'm walking down the stairs into the, into the main part of the house again, I hear the radio playing, and I go, this is crazy. You turned it off, obviously. So I did. <laughs> so get a load of this. So what happened was, I go in the kitchen, hanging out, cup of coffee, cracking some eggs, and I throw two eggshells in the garbage can, and as I turn to throw the third one in, the garbage can was empty. And I went, oh, no, I emptied it last night. And I went, no, I didn't. I don't even know where the garbage is in this house. I don't know where the light switches are. I know where nothing. But I looked over and the garbage can was empty. And I'm thinking, that's pretty weird. And then I get this little voice in my head goes, and the maid said the house was haunted. 
So I'm going, okay, but I'm not going to buy into this stuff. Yeah, ghosts don't usually take out the trash, No, right? <laughs> no, no. I, 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 no. And I, it, so, no, they don't. Well, they did this case or did something with it. I don't even know if I ever checked where it was. So I went out that day, hung out with my buddies. You know, I'm out partying. And, you know, and it's December, so it's cold in New England. And I'm going out visiting everybody. The holidays are coming up, all the excitement, et cetera, et cetera. So I finally came home that evening. And when I came home that night, I shut the radio off. Plus, I hadn't slept the whole night before. So I've got jet lag and this. I went to bed. I slept like a baby. I get up the next morning, and I come downstairs, and I flip on the switch on the radio. And I'm hearing this, like, 16th century harpsichord music. And I'm like, what the hell's that? And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's a little bleed over from another radio station. Yeah, cross frequencies. Which wasn't at all un. Not in that day. It's not uncommon. Not uncommon at yeah. all. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe. And then that ended. And then another one came on that was the same kind of music. And I thought, NEW's rock and roll station. They are not playing harpsichord music. Certainly not two in a row. So I walk into the den where the, where the receiver was. And I look. And instead of being at 99.9 center dial, it was all the way down at 88 point something. Hello. And so now I'm looking around, and I get this little voice in my head that says, and the maid said the house was haunted. So now I'm kind of like, well, this is kind of freaky. You know, what the hell, what's going on here? So I leave, I get out of the house, and every time I would come home, and anybody who's listening to this has had it happen to them, well, those that are aware, you leave for whatever, you come back, you know, we're all creatures of habit. So you know where you put your glasses. You know where you put your keys. You know where you put a book. You know where you put things. But you come home, and it's it's not where you know you left it. And you're kind of looking around going, I know I left it right here, but it's been moved. And maybe it's been moved to another room. Maybe it's only been moved a few inches. But you know it's been touched. You know it's not, something's not right. So what I would do is every time I came back in the house, I'd walk around, you know, looking for things. And it was, you know, never, never something that was blatantly obvious, but I knew things had been changed since I was away. Now, keep in mind, my entire family's in England. Nobody's home. Nobody. Um, so one day I walked in the house, and a bunch of other things had happened, but I walked in the house, and I walked in the living room, and I had these big Sansui speakers. And my mom had taken a crystal vase with a crystal cork and a gold chain around the neck and a porcelain label. And one said whiskey and the other said water. And she put them on top of these speakers. And I walked in the living room and I froze solid. Both vases were lying on the floor, perfectly parallel to the speakers, with the gold chain around the necks perfectly laid out, and with the porcelain label perfectly laid out, there wasn't a kink in anything, nothing. Wow. And the corks were then out from the top of the bottle perfectly aligned. I mean, and people, oh, it fell off. No, it didn't. It's an impossibility. Well, how's it going to fall off and a cork be disengaged from the bottle? Not happening. Yeah, if it falls down, it'll break. And, and Exactly. Yeah. No, no way. So I walk in, I walk into the living room, and I grab the bottle in one hand, and I grab the cork in the other, and I'm yelling at the house. And I'm going, okay, you know, you can play with me all you like, but when you start messing with the old lady's stuff, you got to contend with her. 
My mom was German and Hungarian. Oh. She had a little, I don't want to say temper, but you didn't want to mess with her. So I'm yelling at the house, and I'm like, you know, you got to yell, you leave me alone. I slam the cork back on the top of the bottle. I'm expecting the windows to start opening and closing. <laughs> I'm expecting, you know, poltergeist to go on here. Um, one night, um, oh, I know what it was. I, so I go to London, I come home, and I'm having a 4th uh, Fourth of July. I'm having a New Year's Eve party. And uh, I had a bunch of friends. You know, everybody's coming over to Bob's to party that night. And that day, uh, I went out with a couple friends. We were getting ice and beer and chips and all that stuff you get for a party. And we went out, and when we came back to the house, um, one of my buddy's cars was parked in the driveway. And I thought, well, it's pretty cold to be sitting outside and you're freezing their butts off out here. So we got out of the car, and I was with Nick, and we got out of the car and walked up to the house, and the back door was opened. And Tom and Ned were in the, uh, in the kitchen, and I looked, and I said, how the hell did you guys get in here? And Ned looks at me like I was crazy, and he goes, uh, we walked in, and we just walked in the door. Well, this was a 400-year-old English tutor, so in order to close and lock the doors, they had these big, big rings, and you put your hand on the ring, you turned it, it would flip a latch on the other side of the door, you pulled the door closed, the latch came down, you put a key in, and then you locked it. Wow. So it was like this thing that you went through. So the fact, and Nick looked at me when that, Ned said that the door was open. Nick looked at me and goes, Big Bob, I watched you lock that door. Oh, wow. So when we left, he goes, I watched you lock it. So we all looked at each other and we're like, it's the G. We started calling it the Bob's ghost, the G. <laughs> so all my friends, you know, now knew this thing called the G. And um, we went out and did what we did. We came back a couple hours later, and we were like army ants going to a picnic, you know, parading from the driveway into the back door of the house, bags, beer, you know, we're going to party. And uh, we were about halfway through, and all of a sudden there was this enormous bang. It sounded, it, it sounded like a door, but it sounded like somebody was a perfectly balanced 300-pound wooden door that just got slammed shut. Well, that's great, but all the doors in the house were old, rickety. They were so old and dry, the wood between them, you could literally see through them. Mm -hmm. There was not a single door in that house heavy enough to make, you couldn't do it. There was no doors in the house to do it. Wow. Yet, and all of a sudden, everybody stopped mid-stride and like eyes wide and going, what the hell was that? And you just hear people go, that's Big Bob's ghost. <laughs> You no, know, that's big. Yeah, it's Big Bob's Ghost. So a bunch of my friends experienced it. People would come over to the house and visit. They'd get up the next day, pour in a cup of coffee. You're talking to them. Go, hey, how'd you sleep? I slept all right, but um, this weird thing happened last night. It sounded like somebody on the other side of the wall with a beanbag because it wasn't a sharp. It was a thud. Hmm. And they said it sounded more like a thud, more like someone was throwing a beanbag at the wall. And many people who never met one another would tell the same stories. Um, one night, my sister was upstairs in her bedroom. My mom was on the other side of the house in her bedroom, and they're both, you know, 10 o'clock at night reading. And they're hearing all the cabinet doors in the kitchen opening and slamming shut. And <laughs> they're like, you know, <laughs> why is Lynn doing, why is mom doing that? Why is Lynn, you know? So they meet each other in this stairway, and they're both pointing at each other going, I thought it was you. No, I thought it was you. 
And they went down in the kitchen, and there was nobody there, of course. Or was there? Well, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> there was, but, but they weren't quite visible. Right. Um, one night, my brother DJ was having dinner, dining room table, sitting there with my mom, and they're just minding their own business. He said, look, the only thing I could tell you is it sounded like somebody stood directly below us in the, in the basement with a 12-gauge shotgun and pulled the trigger. He said there was a ba-boom and opened the door, went down. No, nobody there. My sister was home alone one night. She had a dog, little, I forget what it was, a mutt. And it was a cold winter night, and her boyfriend was up in Nova Scotia, and she was the only one in the house, and she heard footsteps from the far side of the house up where her bedroom was over the garage, and she heard footsteps through the house. And she's on the phone talking to her boyfriend, and he's like, what the hell am I going to do? I'm in Nova Scotia. You know, and she's freaking out. The door is closed. She's in this little itty-bitty room, and she hears the footsteps coming through the house and then down the stairs. And do what do you do? Jump out the window, what have you? So the dog gets up, and the dog is at the door. The dog is growling at the door. Clearly the dog can hear this thing too. And finally she's like, i gotta, I got to open the door. I mean, she's thinking someone broke into the house while I was on the phone talking to my boyfriend, and they're in the house. And they walked, this came right up to the door, and she went over, and she pulled the door open, and there was nobody visibly there. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a lot of experiences in that house. Um, and then, of course, people were like, oh, you're crazy. You know, the, the typical, you know, naysayers. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that's great. We had, and as I said, we had many people who would stay in the house, and, and people would tell stories. I had one one night. Um, I was in my room, and I was adjusting a tape. Uh, I had a, a, a record player, and we were making tapes. My friend Tom Hunt was driving to California, and we were making these tapes that he could listen to on the way out. And so I'm up, and I'm bending over, and I'm adjusting the volume and the treble, and I'm doing all this stuff. And out of the corner peripherally out of my eye, over to the right, I see this figure coming into the room. And at first I'm, I'm doing this. And I could just see it peripherally. And then I thought, the door is over here. That's just a window. But I could see this thing clearly. And I turned around, I jumped, and there was nothing there. But my sister-in-law was in uh, one of the other bedrooms and had the exact same experience. So those things happened. Um, and there are a bunch of other, a lot of other. You know, my dad had a, 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 a motion detector because people were like, Bob's crazy, you know. Everybody <laughs> in my family, everybody in my family acknowledged it. Everybody who came over experienced it in one way or another. Um, but it was it, for some reason it really liked me. So your and, ghost was an equal opportunity hauntist. <laughs> ah, exactly. One night I was sitting in my bedroom and I was on the phone talking to a Johnny Mastretta's mom. Johnny was a buddy of mine in the Marine Corps. He was stationed in uh, Iwakuni with him. And um, he was still over there, and I was talking to her to find out when he's coming home to Jersey. And I'm leaning on the edge of the bed, and I got my elbows on my knees. I got the phone up to my ear, and my sister walked in my bedroom. So she came in through the door at the far end of the room, and as she did, the closet door just opened slowly. And I looked up at her, and I said, and the phone just went dead, too. Wow. That's a pretty powerful spirit. We We had a lot of weird things going on. A lot of weird things. Whoever lived there before us 
it had one of the, um, at the time, um, the security system was state-of-the-art. One of those things were underneath the floorboards of the house, there were metal um, brackets, and any weight would touch the metal, and metal on metal would set off the alarms. Um, someone went down in the basement, almost like a wild person, and just grabbed the panel and just tore, tore it apart. I mean, literally, just, just yanked stuff out of the wall. It looked like a mad person had torn this thing apart. Um, so we had, we had our share and, like I said, guests. And this was for over 10 years. This didn't just happen in a weekend and, you know, you know weekend at Bob's and we had, a, you know, a ghost. This was over the course of 10 years. A That's lot cool. of, a lot of, a lot of experiences. So eventually my parents sold the house and the people that bought it, the woman um, was, a, was a customer. My sister's got a shop in Connecticut. And the woman was a customer and knew my sister. So <clears throat> she came down one day and she's talking to my sister and she said, um, did you guys ever notice anything kind of odd? You know, like mm -hmm. it, as coy as she could without coming out and go, did you have any freaking ghosts in that house? And so Lynn's kind of playing like Mickey the Dunce because, you know, what do you tell your customer? Yeah, we sold you a house that had a ghost. <laughs> so she's being coy about it. But the woman's going, well, I was, I was in my bedroom one night. And it was a hot summer night, and we had air conditioning in the master bedroom. The house didn't have a central. And so the boys were asleep on the floor, you know, because it was cool. And uh, she said one of the little boys came up and woke her up in the night. He's like, Mommy, Mommy, there's a man over there. Wow. And that was the same guy. Well, I think it was the same guy I saw. So that happened. And she had a bunch of other experiences, very similar to what I just explained. And she finally went down and talked to a priest. And the priest said, I want you to walk through the house with the Bible and read these passages and tell the spirit it's okay to pass on, to move on. Um, and I did a lot of reading. I did a lot. I was, you know, I, uh, someone was killed in the fire. I forget who. I think it was the caretaker was killed in the fire. None of the little girls died, but the caretaker was. Um, and I, I did a lot of reading. And they, they, ghosts have like a shelf life of like 400 years. Right. You know, and after that, I guess whatever happens. But so this was around. And she went and saw a priest. And he said, I want you to walk around the Bible. And I want you to read these passages. And I want you to tell this spirit that it's okay to move on. And uh, whether, whether she did or whether it did, we're not really 100% sure yet. Because the property that the house sat on was a big piece of property. There was another buildable lot right in front of it. They bulldozed down the house, and they built a modern McMansion in front of it. Wow. Which is criminal, because this is a beautiful old English tutor, you know, and they just don't make them anymore. But <clears throat> we're convinced that, that we all got a little taste of the G. That's, Every, that's cool, though. It was kind of fun. I mean, you know, it, it, there were nights that I would I would be in the house and crazy things would happen, and I'd just pack up. And I had friends that lived, you know, a couple miles away. And I'm, you know, twelve one o'clock in the morning, I'm knocking on their door, and they just open the door and go, "It's a G again, huh, Bob?" I, go, <laughs> I can't, I can't sleep in that house. Can't There's, run from it. <laughs> well, one night I woke up, and it was you know whatever time it was, it was late, and I woke up. Something startled me and woke me up out of a dead sleep. It's pitch black in my room. And anybody who's over the age of probably 45, maybe, 
Remember where you used to put posters up on your walls? Yeah. You know, and it was either, you know, with thumbtacks or with adhesive. Right. Well, how long did that last? Not very long. Not very long. But I woke up one night and I was startled by something woke me up. But then I heard the unmistakable sound of a Jimi Hendrix poster as it fell off the wall, the paper crumpling and falling down to the ground and then hitting the ground and then resting. And that woke me up. So, yeah, we had a lot going on there. I think that's kind of cool, though. And I know most people think it's scary, but I've always been in the belief that if you don't fear it, you're not going to draw a negative energy to you, a negative entity. And I've never had any bad spirits come to me, thank God. It's always been more on the... The friendly, I've had a few that are what I would call a pain in the ass because they won't leave me alone until I do what they ask. And 99% of the time, it's just they need to, to tell somebody right. something. And um, obviously, I have a radio frequency that, that can pick up on them. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's a lot of people talk about spirits being bad. That's why they don't believe or they, they have that belief that, oh, I don't want this thing. I didn't want it either. But, you know, sometimes it, it, it happens and... We tend to forget our loved ones a lot of times when they pass away. But to know that they're right there, it, it's so cool to have that. Yeah. You know, they never really do leave you. And you can talk to them as if they are there because, I mean, they may be busy doing other things, but for some reason when they're over there, they can hear you from anywhere. And that's one thing I've learned. I was impressed years ago because, you know, we had this ghost in the house for 10 years so i used to do a lot of research on ghosts and paranormal and what have you and one of the things that i always found was very interesting was an mit um uh professor uh physics just flat out said you know we know that energy can change shape but energy can never be destroyed and so, you know, when you think of the human body, we've got energy. There's, yes. You know, I mean, you can measure it. We know it's there. So, you know, it's, you know, when you die, when we die, when we pass, you know, this shell ceases to exist, but the energy, which is what we call the soul, continues to exist. Now, why some go straight up and some go straight down and some stick around, I have not a clue. Um, but I do believe very firmly that there's, you know, there's an energy and... We call it paranormal, we call it ghosts, what have you, but it's there. Well, it's funny you talk about the energy sticking around and not knowing why. And what's um, there's a TV series that's on Netflix right now, one of my favorite ones, because I'm always like a crime buff. I always wanted to be a cop, but I love the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah. And I started a show, and this one was in a, a foreign language, so I had to use the, um, you know, to, the caption to read it because all the other ones were in English, and this particular one was from Japan. And the actual title of it was called Tsunami Spirits. And I started watching it one night before I went to bed, and I had to stop because I was getting irritated. I don't like to read closed captioning. Mm. But then the next day, I started it again, and I'm like, there's a reason why I was meant to watch this. And it's so fascinating. It's on Netflix right now on the new season of Unsolved Mysteries. And what they're talking about is the tsunami that wiped out Japan. Oh, So many people... We're not expecting this to happen for so right. many lost loved ones. And people in Japan, they don't, they don't believe in, you know, death. 
they think you go someplace else. So they were really afraid to seek out counseling after losing their loved ones because the counselors tell you just to kind of, you know, get over it. You never truly get over the loss of a loved one. You get past it in order to keep moving through life. But the Japanese folks didn't want to go to counseling because they feared they would forget the dead. And they don't separate the dead from the living. But a couple of examples on this show that really were mind-blowing to me, a woman had lost her three-year-old in the tsunami. Mm -hmm. And she decided to leave her son's toys in the area next to the kitchen and didn't put them away. She left them there. And she struggled every day to get up out of bed because she was so depressed losing this little baby. And she would always look over at the toys and say, it's time for dinner. And one night, she says this, and this toy train of his starts going off. Wow. And, you know, they were explaining this, that there are so many ways that you had to turn this thing on. It wasn't just something that was automatic. So she believed that was her little boy. And... Also, there's so many cool things that they talk about. The taxi cab drivers after the tsunami were picking up passengers and they would be like halfway to the destination and turn around and look in the rear view. There's no passenger in the back seat. They're gone. Or they would get to the destination and there's nobody there. And and they were talking about how they needed to make the money because they did the fare, but there's no passengers in the back. And this was going on. So many times after the tsunami happened and all these people were missing, and there's even one in there where a lady, um, there's a group of young men, and I think she said there's five or six, they were knocking on her door. She went to answer the door, and they were just like soaked, wet, and they were looking for help, and she knew they weren't real because she could tell that. And she said, you guys need to move on. You're not part of this world anymore. But this happened from the tsunami, and I was just watching this whole thing. That so many spirits yeah. were still clung to the earth right. because they were wiped out in the tsunami and, and didn't even understand that they were actually dead. dead and sometimes right. it takes people yep. to help them. And I had that happen to me. Yeah. I had to help someone cross over and I didn't know at the time the guy was dead, you know, yeah. and I, he wrote me a song, which is kind of cool because I call it the story ghost on the wire. And it was just someone who had reached out to me through phone conversations. And I was, what, 19 years old? I didn't have a clue what this was. Yeah, I loved his British accent. I loved the fact that he was in the music industry. He was friends with a very well-known band, and I never mentioned the band because I don't need the singer coming after me. Although now, yeah. all these years later, he's admitting things about the supernatural things that happened. Yeah, But, you know, this person reached out to me through a phone line and there's no record of those calls ever being made. No, you talk about that in your book. It's yeah. crazy. And, and for me to have these conversations with a person who is not of this world anymore physically, I, I tried to explain it away for the longest yeah. time, but it, it came to be evident that he was in fact deceased and he was just looking for someone to show him love so that he could cross over completely. He was stuck. So when you bring up that thing about spirits, you know, they sometimes they don't even realize that they're not dead. Right. They're stuck because they're not willing to let go of something they don't even get. Right. Right. You know, it's one of the things that uh, it, it frustrates me. You know, if I watch any of these paranormal things on television, um, yeah, they'll go in and, and they, you know, they'll do a contact. You know, they'll, 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 they'll have the, the, the um, electronic voice recorders, you know, video. I mean, some of it's pretty compelling. Um, but the thing that always drives me a little cuckoo is, you know, they'll do it, 
but they don't try to communicate with the spirit and say it's okay to leave. You know, right. They're like they're doing know, it for entertainment. The entertainment. Yeah. You know, and they'll say to the people, you know, if anything happens, call us. We'll come back and help you. Well, you're not here to help these people. You're here to help the spirit move on. And I'd like to see, you know, somebody pay attention to that and, you know, and help these souls move on to the next level. Doesn't sell television, though. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they're looking for something dramatic to pull you in. And even though I said earlier that I've never had an evil spirit drawn to me, I've seen people who have dealt with that. And it's not a fun thing, but mm. you have to get past the fear of it because fear is how that type of entity attaches itself to you. It controls your environment because you're allowing it to it by draws fearing off it. that energy. Yeah, it's negative energy. Negative, and, yep, yep. and, you know, I, I talk about this. The, one of the first spirits to actually come to me after my husband died that was completely separate of him was a guy who was very impatient. And you brought it up earlier about the footsteps. I actually had footsteps in my head, and I had this guy, he was a pain in the ass for almost two days, sighing so heavily. <sighs> I could hear it. And it wasn't heavy breathing, it was sighing. And mm -hmm. it was just so overpronounced. And the footsteps in my head were just, it, it, it was worse than what you saw in the movie Ghost with her, you know, Henry VIII I Am all night long being sung. Mm -hmm. You know, that probably would have been better than what I was hearing because yeah. there, I had a house full of carpet. There was no wood floors. Uh, Why was I hearing footsteps everywhere? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I finally just couldn't take it anymore. And I just screamed out loud, what the fuck do you want? You know, what is it? What do you want? And he just stops and he goes, it's about time, you know. And then he just tells me to, to type up a letter. And I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, I don't know what the hell this conversation's about. I type up this letter, and then it comes out to be that a guy I had met just a day prior, it was his father wanting to get in contact with him. No way. Yeah, and it, it's so funny how it all happened because I barely even knew this guy. It wasn't even 24 hours after we met. And then when I type up this letter, I'm supposed to put it in a rose with a stuffed animal and throw it on the doorstep so when the guy gets home from work, he finds it. So then he calls me that night, and he goes, how did you know? I'm like, how did I know what? He goes, how did you know I needed to talk to my dad? And I'm going, it's your dad? And I'm like, your dad's dead and all this. He goes, yeah, my dad's dead. We were talking, but we got into a fight, so we stopped talking. And wow. it, it made me feel yeah. good to know that somebody else could talk with a dead person because I, I still was like, yeah. I, I don't know what, I didn't know what I was typing yeah. until after I typed it and I read it and I'm like, what do you mean go get a flower and a, a stuffed animal and throw it on his door? So what are you talking? I'm being told stuff from some guy I've never, don't even know, never even met, but because I met his son the night before, yep. <clears throat> now yeah. I've got to do this. So I've never had a bad spirit. I've, like I said, I've had pain in the asses that won't yeah. leave me alone until I do what they ask and nothing has ever been bad. I mean, the, the craziest one was me flying all the way back to New York to deliver a message to a firefighter I never stepped foot in front of that was front and center during 9-11. And, yeah. you know, we've talked about this off air, and I think yeah. we mentioned it on the 9-11 show, just the idea of connecting with spirits that I have never met. And in that case, being in front of Ground Zero and having all these spirits bombard me within a matter of minutes I had no idea what was going on with me. So there's got to be a two-way channel with you because if spirits come to you that way, 
they don't come to me or they do and it's a roadblock because they come to me but i have no idea they're there because i don't know how to open it up you must have some kind of an open channel somehow spirit knows that you've got this this ability because you know like i just said they come to you you don't see any coming to me and talking to me right now and if they do i can't hear it so it's like talking or you sign language to a blind man it doesn't mean anything yeah um so well, you've obviously got there's a two-way connection they have to know that you are available to their communication somehow yeah i call it i joke about it all the time i call it like a claw machine you know those claw machines that you pay 50 cents and you try to grab a stuffed animal with a claw or a yep. toy it feels almost like that in the beginning before I even realized how I could hone this ability to some degree. It felt like this attachment going into my head and it was like this tingling going on in the left side of the back side of my brain. And it was just really weird because I've never, I didn't experience that years ago after my husband died. I just heard him and I saw him moving objects. And then with the other voices, I just heard them. And it didn't get kicked into full gear for many years because there was a span of time from 2004 all the way to 2015 where that ability was gone. And that was because I was with a man who didn't believe in this. Mm -hmm. He thought it was all hocus pocus bullshit is what he used to tell me. Mm -hmm. I could never talk openly (laughs) about it. But then also my emotions were always messed up because... I I was in a very toxic marriage with him and my self-esteem, all of that stuff was just gone. And being in that type of atmosphere, my emotions were so clouded that that ability was completely gone until I was rid of him. We were done. And then in 2017, that's when the spirit contact kicked back in because I had a, a best friend who committed suicide. And there were a lot of people thinking she might've been murdered because she had a few stalkers. But what we found that day when we found her body, I knew it wasn't just Mm. because of the way that everything was. You knew it was a suicide. And I remember the drive home after the sheriff's department let us go. I just said out loud, you know, because her and I have talked at length about me having this ability in the past. And I told her, I said, you know, I believe it's a suicide. But if there's something different, like what everyone is saying, if you were murdered, Mm. talk to me. I'm here. Talk to me. Let me know. I didn't hear anything from her, but a few of our friends had gotten, they've had visitations or dreams, but then all of a sudden out of nowhere, I'm talking to one of our other friends on the phone and I'm, I'm just so distraught because I had to put my own grief aside to help everybody else through it. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of person I am because there's no one else that could have really found her and dealt with it because they weren't as experienced with death as I was. And I know that sounds like shit to say that, but it's true. Oh, you, you've had your share. I'm the right person yeah. to make that 911 yeah. call and, yeah. and not freak yeah. out because I found somebody. Yeah. You know, you, you learn how to deal with death in a different way. Yeah. And she started coming to me in the strangest of ways. And I'm on the phone. I'm eating chocolate. And I'm like dead tired for being up for two days straight. And the girl on the phone, I'm giggling. And I'm saying, ooh, I miss chocolate. And she's freaking out because she's hearing the other girl's voice that's dead. That sounds just like her. And that's kind of one of the first experiences I had with it because that's when it started coming out. And when Mm. they went through her apartment to clean it up after she passed away, they found chocolate hidden everywhere. She had an addiction to chocolate. 
And I didn't know this until later when I had met with her sisters and had that discussion. But there were so many things that happened after she died. She came to me. She... And here's the one thing that really messed me up, but actually woke me up. I had always believed, and I don't know where this comes from, whether it's religious beliefs or because everybody says, you know, if you do this, you're going to go to hell. If you commit suicide, you're going to go to hell. That's not what happened to her. And I've had a lot of suicide in my life, so Mm -hmm. I always, I didn't know. And then I see her in this beautiful white light before me. And her face, it's so angelic. And all I felt was just peace and love. And I i stuck my hand into that white light because I wanted to touch her. And I just felt like little needle pricks on my hand all the way around that was in that light. And I've come to learn that that's ectoplasm. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea of that, and I don't condone committing suicide. I don't because from my own experiences with that, um, that's a whole different thing. You have to come back and do yeah. things over again. You know, yeah, you get right. sent back here to do them over. So just work your way through it. But she showed me that you don't go to hell. There really is no hell over there. Hell is right here on earth with the things we go through. I mean, I believe that. I can't argue with that one. So, you know, I, after having her come back to me, I developed this tingle. There was a tingle on my head that, started being able to let me know she was with me. And then all of a sudden I started to learn how to distinguish my own thoughts from hers because things were coming out of my mouth that don't belong to me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew that I could distinguish because a lot of times the spirits that connect with you will use your thoughts and you think you're thinking them, but you're not really thinking them. Someone else is putting that there. And there's a good movie that's a perfect reference to this. It's called Always. And it has Richard Dreyfus, John Goodman, and Holly Hunter. It's about people who put out fires in airplanes. And Richard Dreyfus gets killed by a fire, and he comes back as a spirit. If you watch that, it is a beautiful representation of what I'm talking about. And what's funny, when I met my late husband, we were only together for 17 months, but he, he and I saw the movie come on TV, and he goes, that's my favorite movie. And I said, well, that's funny, because that's my favorite movie, too. So our connection was the movie always, besides hockey, but he, you know, we had that movie in common, and one of the first things he started doing to me, visitation-wise, was through that little movie, the pieces of that movie, he would use that to connect with me, because the first psychic that said that was his name, she actually said, Pete's here to talk to you, and I'm like, who the hell's Pete? And she goes, no, it's Cliff. Because Pete is the character that Richard Dreyfus oh. plays in the movie. And it's, it's such a beautiful movie because it shows wow. how the spirits can connect with you yeah. without you even realizing it. And a lot of times it's, you, you start thinking about them, but it's not really your thoughts. It's them putting that claw machine, that claw into yeah. your head and connecting yeah. with you on a, like an like a extraterrestrial level. And it's really funny how it works. And it's, it's nothing to be afraid of. And, you know, when all of this started happening to me years ago, I started thinking about this. How many people in mental institutions have really had spirit contact and not just voices in their head? Yep. But back years ago, 
This wasn't something you could talk about. It wasn't recognizable. No one really understood it. So, of course, you're going to be psychotic. You have voices in your head. You're messed up. They're going to lock you up and stick you on medication. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there were times I thought they should put me in a padded cell, but I've learned to accept it. And the more you speak it, the more it becomes comfortable. And, you know, I am a radio frequency for it because I'm not afraid of it. No, not at all. No, no. You we know, started this conversation off, you know, not being afraid of death, not being afraid of dying. No. No, not in the least. So how long have you known, how long have you had this ability? Well, if I really break it down, I've had it since I was a kid. But I think kids are not, I mean, kids and animals. Animals can't distinguish. That's why you see your cats or your dog staring off in a corner or barking at nothing. Right. Because there's probably something there. Could be your past pet that passed away or, you know, maybe a a former kid that lived in the house or something. Mm -hmm. But animals are susceptible to that energy and children are because we're not jaded. Right. The imaginary friends may not be so imaginary. Right. You know, Uh, there's so many cool movies out there that show that. And, you know, it's it's like there's another one. I'll say Hearts and Souls. Robert Downey Jr., these people get killed in a bus crash and they shouldn't have died. It was a mistake. And they, those five souls attach themselves to Robert Downey Jr. when he's a kid. It's a beautiful movie because it also shows that kind of thing yeah. where you know, you're trapped here because you still have a purpose. But as a kid, I had visitations from my grandma and she wasn't dead at this point. And when she did die, I was a teenager and I saw her the night that she died visiting me. And I, you know... You don't really bring it up because, oh, you're just imagining things. You're a kid. But my father was into Edgar Casey. He talked about reincarnation. But we still, you know, didn't have those honest conversations about spirits and spirit contact. And I just knew that I had some abilities that may have been passed on because my grandma and great-grandma were supposed to be like some sort of healers or something, or they had psychic abilities. And... The first time was just being a kid. But again, you know, as you grow up, you wish it all away. You say, oh, that's not real. No one believes me. I'm just a kid telling tall tales. And I think it was in 2001 that it really woke up, even though I had experiences with the ghost on the phone in the late 80s, I still didn't think that that was an ability to communicate with dead people. It still just was like, Okay, whatever. It was an experience. I don't get it. But I think it was when my husband died in February of 2001 that everything changed for me. I think that's when I realized that I had something Mm -hmm. very unique going on because none of the family members, his family members weren't paying attention to what I was saying. Right after he died, he came to me and was making jokes. He's being a smartass. And I'm known as a smart ass myself being a radio personality. That's just part of me. And I'm always trying to make people laugh. And I think maybe my family members or, you know, his family members thought that that's what I was trying to do. Add some, some spice and life to a bad situation. We just all saw him die right before us. So they, I don't think they really got it. And they're getting it now because they are reading the book now. Mm -hmm. And his, Mm -hmm. one of his sisters actually commented on a post that um, all these things were happening in her house when he died and everybody was, you know, saying, oh, that's not Cliff, that's nobody. And, you know, she's now saying that she feels vindicated because 
She always believed it was her brother visiting and playing pranks on her like he did to me and my family. And she feels so happy now that I chronicled that in the book because it's going to be kind of like one of those things where she can go to the family. See, Robin saw it too. Her family saw it too. Now I'm mm. not crazy. You know, it's so I think when he died, that's when I started to understand that there was something really special going on. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, again, I don't believe it's a gift that I have. I, it's a gift to me. But I think it's an ability that everybody has, but we shut it out sometimes because religious beliefs, sometimes because we're, we're told we're nuts. Yeah. And, you know, I tell everyone, look, pay attention to the signs. If you see pennies, dimes, whatever, uh, a song on the radio that means a particular thing, uh, perfume from your, your mom right. wa- waiting through the room and your mom's right. dead. If you see, feel, hear those things, that's not a memory, honey, because memories you can't smell. Right. You can't smell a memory. Right. I, I understand that. You can't. So believe it. If you believe it to be true, no one else has to believe you. That's, yeah. that's for you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Have you met um, John Edwards? Yes, I have. So how do I want to say this? <laughs> I've, I've certainly seen him a gazillion times, and, and I think he's – a pretty stand-up guy. Yeah, I believe so, too. Yeah, I think so. You know, like I said earlier, there's some people that are just full of baloney. Yeah, I actually, I call him a mentor because when I first started experiencing the guy pacing in my head and screaming at me and all, there was a whole slew of experiences that were happening with people I didn't know. Yeah. And it was driving me crazy. I felt like I was pulling my hair out, that I was going crazy. I loved that my husband was with me, but not that stuff. That's not what I wanted. And I bought tickets when he came here. It wasn't long after my husband died. I think it was less than a year because John likes to come to Arizona in January for some reason. And Cliff died in February. So the following year I bought tickets and I raised my hand during the Q&A thing and I started talking to him and I said, thank you for being the person who's showing me some insight into this because I'm a lost soul not knowing what to do with this, but I don't want it. And he said, you know, see me after the show. So I went and talked to him for a few minutes and he had me get these tapes that were like self-guided stuff so I can listen. Mm-hmm. And he's t- he told me about psychic self-protection, about the white light protection that I could put around myself right. to shut it off yep. because it was just too much for me. I couldn't handle it. I'm supposed to grieve the loss of my husband, help my teenage son deal with this loss of this man that was something really special to him. And then try to find a job and get my life back. You know, I had so many things that were gone. I had no purpose because I quit my job to take care of him. And then he died a week later. So, I mean, you know, I had no purpose anymore. I knew I had a 15-year-old kid, but I had to find a way to get my life back. And these spirits were just messing with me. And I'm like, I don't want this shit. I didn't realize how awesome of a thing it was at first because it was very scary. Yeah. Yeah. So John actually taught me psychic self-protection and I give him a kudos and a thank you in the book because, and I mentioned him several times because mm-hmm. without him, I don't think I could have gotten a handle on it back then. It would have been way too much for me to deal with without understanding that, yes, I could shut that door if I needed to. Interesting. Yeah. Have you ever read a book called um, Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss? No, but I've had a lot of friends quote parts of that book to me, and I know I need to get it and read it. Oh, you need to get it. Yeah. I've, I, I, I have a copy next to my uh, bed. I haven't picked it up in probably a year now. Um, 
but I think I think it's 15 years old. Wow. And I go through it periodically. And you know, I'll just there's certain certain things that I've highlighted that I go back and I and I reread. Um, it's a it's a fascinating book written by a psychologist who had nothing to gain by writing a book. And it's really interesting. The net net of the entire book is that, and you said it earlier in this conversation is, you know, we're here to learn, you know, and then if you don't, you got to go back. Like you said, suicide, if you commit suicide, now you got to go back and start over again yeah, and relearn what it was that you were supposed to learn the first time. And, um, it's, 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 it's a fascinating read, and the person that he um, works with during the book, there are certain things that there's just no way she could have known these things. She spoke languages that he said she was clearly not capable of reading, had been to places that she had never been out of the country, and had been to places and could identify places and people and past lives really really fascinating really really an interesting book about growth and the point he says is you know every time that we die and we move on we become more quote godlike and learn and grow and mature and grow and you know after you know especially after after this life you take some time off, which is what people would say. You go to heaven, yeah, and you go on vacation for a while. I'm waiting for that vacation. <laughs> um, I'm, that's why I say. That's why I said at the very beginning of this. I am not the least bit afraid to die, and I'm like, I'm ready for the vacation. Alpha Centuri's got a little lounge chair with a cold beer next to it, and I'm ready to sit there and watch the moon rise on another star. I guess another plane. Yeah, I that's am what ready I call to it. go. That's what I call it, you know. I'm yeah. not I'm not ready to die yet, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing everybody I've lost. Yeah, I'm not ready. I mean, you know, if it happens, it happens. But, right. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure I got a couple of years left of me, but I have no regrets. None. Me neither. None. No, None. me neither. No. This was a hard life for me, but I think that now I'm in the second part of it. I think it's going to be a little easier now. Well, and that that's part of that. You need to read this book. I you, am. You need I am to now read, because the hard life part of it is. You know, the struggles and the things that we go through. This has been, you know, my the first half of this life was great. I, I mean, I grew up in Leave It to Beaver land. I had the greatest childhood on the face of the planet. Um, but the second half of my life has been very, very challenging. Um, just a lot of shit. I mean, you know, four years in the Marine Corps, you know, you know, I had that Lance Corporal die in my arms, 9-11. I, you know, I've, 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 I've. You've seen some shit. I've been through some serious shit. I've been through some stuff that that has challenged me. But I think the answer is, you know, I can sit back and cry and go, boo-hoo-hoo, poor me. You know, I'm the victim. Well, what's that going to do for me? Not a damn thing. Not much. Mm -mm, No. So it's like grow and get get past it. You know, find out what the bigger picture is here, which is, you know, kind of like, you know, I look at people who whine and, you know, complain about things in life and i'm just like get over it you know the fact that they don't have big beans in the store who gives a shit you know they'll be here next week you'll live for a week without big beans 
Yeah, picking that out of clear blue sky. But yeah. Death changes you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's, and you know, I tell people all the time that uh, death has become a very comfortable friend to me because it has taught me to live. And I have no fear of it. None. I'm looking forward, like you said, I've got a lot of friends. You know, <laughs> you know you're starting to get older in life when you got more friends on the other side oh, well, than you got over here. And it's like That's uh, not my case though. Between twenty three what is it, twenty two and thirty three yeah, you I had forty one people die on me. So crazy. I was going I was going to five, six, seven funerals a year and it just you know, and I had a very good friend of mine that, that put it very well to me. He you know, I was introduced to people. And they're like, well, I don't want to be your friend. The Grim Reaper likes you too much. That hurt to hear that. But I had a friend, David, who told me, he said, Robin, their lives are already predetermined. So is their death. You have nothing to do with them. Being friends with you isn't why they died. You're in their life to learn from their death because you're being prepared for something really big. And a year and a half later, I was the one that gave my husband permission to die. Yeah. You know, I had no idea what I was being prepared for. And within a week of him telling me that statement, I met Cliff. And then a year and a half later, I was the only one strong enough yeah. to bend down and whisper in his ear because he didn't want to leave. Yeah, yeah. And he was done. He was absolutely done. The cancer was just too much through his body. And I am so grateful. He had a beautiful nurse. And this woman was probably in her 60s, biker chick. You could tell, just absolutely awesome woman. She pulled me aside the night he was in the ICU and she said, does he have a DNR? And I said, we've never filled out anything. Does his family know anything? They don't know nothing. I said, but I had him make a will after he almost died the last time. He wants to be cremated. He doesn't want to be sustained by machinery. So we knew that. And she said, because I'm going to explain this to you straight up. She goes, if I have to crack his chest open to bring him back, the air is going to make the cancer spread 20 times faster and he'll be dead on sight. So why bother cracking him open? And I said, that's exactly my point. Thank you for being honest with me about that. So we didn't resuscitate. We pulled him off and we let him go. Mm-hmm. And, and he was hanging on for a, you know almost a day. And I had to tell him. I sat with him all night and his body was ice cold. We had 10 blankets on him and he wasn't warming up. <clears throat> yeah. And I will never forget it, just bending down to him. And I had to go home and take a shower because I was a mess. And I said to him, I said, don't you dare leave me while I'm gone. You wait till I get back. And then when I got back, I bent down and I said, you know, I love you. And I know that Jeff loves you. And I know that you're worried about us. I said, but we're going to be just fine. I said, Jeff and I are pretty tough cookies. We've got it handled, whatever. You need to let go because this is the best thing for you right now. You're not going to be coming back. We're not going to beat it this time. So you need to beat it another way. Yeah. And, you know, within a short amount of time, he was gone. Yeah. And that, when you have to stand before somebody you love with all your heart and give them permission to die. Oh, boy. That changes the whole trajectory of everything. And that, to me, was the greatest gift he gave me. Because not only has he stayed with me all these years, and I know he gets busy doing other things, but once in a while, he will come through. Yeah. To let me know he's around, yeah. but that's the one gift he gave me is he taught me that there's just a thin veil between the worlds and, you know, we're just, we're not completely dead. We just go someplace else and we're just right there all the time. Energy just manifests itself a different way. Yeah. We're still there. Yeah. Just can't see him. 
No. No, I was, I was some, pointing at the chair when yeah. we just did that. It's sometimes radio. I can sometimes I can see them. We'll have to figure out who this Charlie guy is because somebody named Charles who corrected me and called himself Charlie said hi to Bob earlier. So I don't know who it is, but <laughs> I haven't had it. It sp- could be my uncle. Yeah. I hi. had my my grandfather and his brother, my grandfather and his brother Charlie were Welsh coal miners. And they came out of the mines, and they came over to uh, Canada. They were frontiersmen. And then Charlie was a Marine in World War One, And then John uh, went back over uh, to Wales. Um, so it could be, could be, I mean, I know a lot of Charlies. Well, he, he made sure to pronounce his name. <clears throat> I'm Charles, but they call me Charlie. So, he, you know, he's... He, he could be a Marine because he kind of has an attitude. So, <laughs> Does he have a British accent? Slightly. There's something there. Well, yeah, okay. Charlie was Welsh. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. Now we know who the ghost was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob yeah, yeah. has a new G. <laughs> <laughs> that's so hilarious. Yeah. I haven't had a spirit come to me in a few weeks, so that's kind of cool. Uh, I, sometimes I doubt that I still have that ability, and they let me know that I do. Yes, you do. Wow. No doubt about it. <sighs> Anything else, my friend? What else are we talking about? I don't know. I don't know. I just feel really good about the conversation we've had. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you know, it's, it's when 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 I read your book and I saw that line as far as not fearing death, I said I got to get a hold of Robin. And as soon as I got off the plane, I I sent you a text and said we need to talk about this. And you were like, Well, Halloween's coming up. Let's do it. Let's have a you know a paranormal conversation. Yeah, because I wasn't even going to do it. And then here you are, you're pushing me, and I'm like, yes, okay, All right, well. so, so let's do this. We're switching gears from paranormal to another paranormal. Before Robin and I started this segment this afternoon, we got talking about UFOs. And she saw a UFO with her family. And I, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in 29 Palms, California, up in the high desert about 200 miles south of Death Valley and south of Area 51. And I was, uh, we were building Camp Wilson. The, we were combat engineers and we were building Camp Wilson, which at, uh, is still today uh, the Marine Corps' largest air base. And it was out in the freaking desert. So when you're stationed at 20 Palms, you're in the freaking desert. When you go to Wilson, you're in the freaking desert of the freaking desert, the middle of nowhere, the middle of nowhere. And I was with a couple of guys, and I think it was, I, I don't remember everybody, but I think Butch Donilo, Mike Schulte, Bill Brewer, Harry Kanoff said he was not there, Leifer, there were like five or six of us, and uh, we had built a, a guard shack, which is a joke. We built a guard shack to guard an airstrip in the middle of the desert that you couldn't get to. I mean, it was bizarre, but anyway, military thinking so we, we built this guard shack and we were all sitting out one night and we had these metal chairs and we were leaning up against the guard shack and we had just had our sea rats uh quote-unquote dinner and we <laughs> were sitting time. there and you know, we're guys you know what are we doing we're talking no we're just staring into the distance and it started to get dark and as it did we saw this light just appear over a mountain range about five miles away. And I know that to be true because I've Google Earthed it several times since then, kind of figured out where it was. And so we saw this red dot just appear. And we're all sitting there in a line, leaning up against a guard shack, feet up, 
chairs lean back, and we see it and kind of, hmm, don't say anything, don't think anything about it. It's a red dot, doesn't mean anything to us. Could be a helicopter. And so it sat there and hovered for a few moments, and then it went from where we saw it on the horizon and just in the blink of an eye went what would have been several miles. And now we're like, hmm. And we're all speaking out loud like, helicopter? No, helicopters don't move that fast. And it was miles away, but we also didn't hear any sound, nothing. So now it's over in this other spot, and it's hovering there for a few minutes. And then it went right back to the spot that it had originally been at. And we're all kind of like, okay, it's not a helicopter. It's not a flare. Um, It's not a jet. It's not any kind of vehicle that we would know anything about. Went back over to the other side, hovered back, and then it shot straight up. And it went and gone. I mean, like absolutely in a nanosecond, it disappeared. So it wasn't a helicopter. It wasn't a jet. It wasn't a flare. But it was a fairly bright red light couple hundred miles south of uh, Area 51 up in 29 Palms. And that was our experience with seeing a, a UFO. We never reported it because we figured we'd go back to Mainside and tell our superior officers, hey, by the way, you know, we saw this thing last night. They think we were doing drugs. They think we were <laughs> drinking. you know. And so the last thing we needed to do was tell anybody. So for many, 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 many years, we never said a word to anybody. And I'll bet you it was, I can't even think, a couple, f- 10 years ago, I think I was talking to one of the guys and I said, do you by chance remember when we were out at Camp Wilson and we saw that? And before I got the word UFO, he goes, yeah, UFO. <laughs> and I said, shit, that was it. We did. We did see it. He goes, yeah, we saw it. You know, it's Oh, I would love to get a hold of the other guys. I got a hold of MUFON. You ever heard of that? Yeah. The, the yeah, mutual yeah. UFO network? Yeah. I and know I got, the ladies that do that. Oh, you do? Yeah. I'd like to talk to them again. They want. They were very interested in the story, but what they wanted was to get a hold of some of the other guys that I was with to corroborate the story. And I said, well, I mean, you could probably, we could figure out how to get a hold of a couple of these guys, but it never went anywhere. That was I spoke to the regional MUFON person when I was living in Florida, and we had a great conversation. He took it all down and listened every word of it and said, but we'd really like to get a hold of some of the other guys to corroborate your story with them and triangulate the thing, if you will. Um, A little more credibility is where I think they were going. Yeah, they want to make sure. But it was, you know, military base south of Area 51, you know, not terribly unheard of but i want to hear your story about what you guys saw well i know that my dad used to talk about seeing it when he was in the air force there was a bunch of him and his military guys that had seen it and when he was in the air force because he was over i believe in korea but he didn't see wartime he was more of the mess hall guy Mm. and there was a group of them that saw it but i remember as a teenager walking out front and it was in the middle of the day and they actually had reports a lot of people called the news station about it but you know, it was my son, or not my son, my son wasn't born yet, it was my brother, it was me, my cousins, who were living with us at the time, and my mom and dad. Where were you? In Mesa. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Right here in Mesa. Yeah. And we walked out into the front yard. We were all standing outside in the grass just talking. 
and you could hear something weird. We didn't know what it was. It almost sounded like a, a, a telephone or a, a line, you know, like a, an electricity line a little yeah, bit. crackling. And it was weird because we, we saw something silver that was reflecting in the sun, but the sun's way on the other side, so it didn't make sense. There was not a cloud in the sky, and it wasn't like low enough to where we could exactly see what the shape was, but the sun was reflecting off of it, and you could see it moving, and then just out of nowhere, zoom, it's gone. gone. And we're all looking at each other like going, did you just see that? Did you just see that? You know, of course, I'm the dummy here. And I worked, I was already in radio for a couple years at that point because I started when I was very young. So I went in and I made the phone call and called one of the TV stations. And, and they said, yeah, we've been getting a lot of reports of a, a, a UFO spotted. And she was laughing when she took my call. You're like the 10th call. So apparently a lot of people saw it. And what's really funny is I know the lady that does the Phoenix Lights thing here, Lynn. Yeah. She talks about how it the, out in the Indian reservations all the time, because it's so pitch black, you see a lot of UFO activity. So it's nothing that hasn't been seen by a lot of people. But back in the day, you don't talk about it because you're a nutcase. Same thing like spirits. They don't see it. They're a nutcase. But with the UFOs, again, you have a group of people that see the same thing. So you know that it does exist and it's real. And it, it happens every day now people are seeing that. Every day. And Kurt Russell, <clears throat> Kurt Russell is a pilot. Yes. This, this just came out not long ago. But a so-called small airplane pilot reported running into a UFO. And then it was later revealed in the media that it was Kurt Russell who saw a UFO. So he's actually talking about his experience with a UFO while flying his plane. Have you seen, it's a new series that I think, I don't think it started last year, um, called uh, Skinwalker Ranch? No, I haven't, but I've heard about it. it. It is the most credible. And the reason is, is there was a billionaire by the name of Bob Bigelow who bought Skinwalker, a, a couple came in, a guy and his wife bought Skinwalker Ranch and immediately started running into bizarre, bizarre things happen. Um, they ended up selling it and they sold it to a billionaire named Bob Bigelow. Bob Bigelow brought some of the biggest, best and brightest PhDs, physicists, astrophysicists on the planet in there and spent a lot of money and didn't tell people what he found. <clears throat> Bob Bigelow then sold it to a guy named um, Brandon Fugal, F-U-G-A-L. Brandon now owns it, and he's another billionaire. Bigelow didn't share information with Fugel when he bought it. Zip, quiet. Hmm. So what Fugel has done is he's now hired a guy Several, but one of the names, and I really like this guy, he just, it, he resonates with me. His name is Travis Taylor. He's a Ph.D. astrophysicist. You don't get too much brighter than an astrophysicist on this planet. Yeah, I, I can't even think with that brain level. I, 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 mm. I don't, so he's now, what he's done is Fugel has hired his own crew of guys, and they're doing a television series called Skinwalker Ranch. And, you know, it's made for TV, so it's sensationalized. I mean, I get it. You know, it's, I understand all that shit. But when you've got astrophysicists doing scientific measurements and can't come up with quantifiable answers 
or five of them, they're standing outside with a cameraman, and they see something up in the sky, and a cow dies, and they go over, and there's radiation, and there's some bizarre things. I mean, real quantifiable things that they could do. Talk about it. It curls your friggin' toes. And what's going on up there is out of this world. And I cannot wait for this season to start. Now I've got something new to check out. You've just uh, got me going on that. Oh, go, go, yeah. go. I think it's on, it must be on Netflix. If not, you can Google it on, on YouTube, Skinwalker Ranch, and watch the, the first couple episodes. You'll watch one and you'll be glued to it. You won't be able to stop. It's pretty cool. I love stuff like that because I'm always willing to learn something new, especially with things like this that we don't understand quite. I love stuff like this where I've got an astro PhD astrophysicist on board because it's not a bunch of yahoos, right? You know, and he's got he's got there's another PhD I forget the other guy's name. Oh, Jim Siegel. Jim Siegel's the other one. So he's got two PhDs, and you know obviously. Uh, um, Taylor is the astrophysicist, and he's got other scientists and other people there. It's mind-boggling, crazy, you know, because when I see people at that level, it's like, okay, you know, this isn't a bunch of wackos, you know, made-for-TV bullshit. You've got some pretty bright people that can't explain what's going on, and uh, it'll curl your toes. It's, It's truly that good. Yeah, and I've learned a lot from listening to people, especially I have a friend who experienced a near-death experience, and he was on one of the past shows, Jeff Olson, and just listening to the things he saw when he died and then came back. Wow. I'm just like, wow, I mean, you, you've been there. You, I mean, we've all been to the other side, but we've been reborn, and that gets wiped out. Yeah. But yeah. when you have a near-death experience and you die and you come back in the same lifetime, you bring that knowledge with you and just hearing the stories of what he says, what's over there, it's kind of like, that's really cool. But his wife who died in the car accident, you know, she made him come back. Really? She said, you have to go back because our son is still there. Oh. They lost one son in the car crash and the other one lived. So he was sent back here to make sure he was there for his son. This is just his, his story. I goosebumps. His story is so powerful. And when he first came in my studio several years ago to be on another show, I saw his wife standing behind him. I goosebumps. And wow. after the show was over, I had a little talk with him. And, you know, it's kind of like, and he just came on. And the, the funny thing is this accident happened many years ago. And his grown son, who was in the car as a young man, was here with him. And they <clears> were both on the show, which they shared such insight. And, you know, you don't. You don't know what really exists unless you open your mind and listen. There's so many things out there. Did you, are you familiar with the story? It's very similar to what you just said, which is what brought to my memory. So this woman was driving with her, I'm going to say little baby, boy or girl, doesn't matter, with her child. Car went off the road, flipped over in a stream, upside down in a stream. It took the EMTs a day to get there. Wow. Nobody, nobody knew that she'd gone off the road. You know, and it was like in a rural, pick Utah. I don't know where it was, but you know, in a fairly rural place. Anyway, they discovered the car, and the EMTs got there. And as they were coming down the embankment to the car, they could hear a woman yelling, save my baby, save my baby, save my baby. They could hear her yelling this. And so they're like, man, we're trying. We're trying to do this as quick as we can. And she's yelling, save my baby. And 
this is like four EMTs. This wasn't one wacko. This is four MTs, EMTs down there, and they're yelling back, ma'am, stay with us. We're trying to do the best we can. We're trying to do this. And she's yelling, save my baby, save my baby. Well, they did, but it turned out she was dead. Whoa. Oh, yeah. No, and she'd been dead. She got killed like instantly. Instantly. Huh? My God. And the guy, and you see, you see them interview the EMTs, and the guys are sitting there, and they're like, we all heard her. We all heard her clear as day. We all heard her voice yelling, save my baby. They are so powerful when they're on the other side. They're very powerful, and they can do just about anything. And I've seen it. I've heard it. I've felt it. And, you know, I have a, another friend. I actually saw him this weekend. He's the singer in a band, and he was. they wrote a song that had something to do with that. It was a very spiritual. It, when I heard it, after the show, I asked him, I said, Tell me about this new song that you just talked about. He has his faith and his beliefs. I can't tell him the truth because I don't want to distort his view. He believes he got a hug from God when he asked how his friend was because his friend had died. So he wanted to know how his friend was. And the sign he got was he he was describing to me this hug. I have felt that spiritual hug before. It is so incredible to get a hug from someone who has passed on you when you get one of those, it is such, it's freaky, but it's so cool because there's nobody there, but you feel such a presence wrapping themselves around you. And he said that he believed it was God. And at that very moment, when he told me that, I wanted to tell him, no, it wasn't God. It was your friend. Oh, but, interesting. but I had to let him oh. have that moment because I didn't want to destroy what he felt because mm-hmm. he believes in his faith. And I'm just going to let that be, but... It was really his friend giving him that hug to let him know he was okay. And he could be working his way through God, however you want to look at it. Yeah. Because it is a very spiritual experience, no yeah. matter how you look at it. But yeah. I've had that spiritual hug. I've had that person touching me, letting me know that they're giving me support. Yeah. And it's there's nothing like it. When Sarah died, Cliff came to me, and he gave me that hug. And everyone was like, well, Sarah's talking to you. Wouldn't it be her? I said, no, it was not a feminine touch. It was a manly touch. And it was a very gentle, manly touch. And they're like, well, how do you know? I said, well, I felt it. Yeah. How would I not yeah. know? Yeah. And yeah. I could tell the difference. Yeah. I could tell the difference because I've hugged both of them in the living. So. Well, anybody who's heard um, Robin and me do these interviews before my 9-11 interview, which I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but... Um, as I was walking down the stairs, the stairs were filling up with smoke. And many, many times during this walk down, I was on the 39th floor. Um, I thought we were going to die of smoke inhalation. I thought for sure that we were going to die. And at one point, they would just start pulling all the bodies from the first floor. As they walked up, they were going to just pull bodies out of there. And I, I knew we were going to die. So every time we got down to a landing, I reached over for the door and they're all locked for security purposes. So I'm frustrated with that, but there was nothing I could do. I mean, there was one way, and that was the stairs, and I got to one floor, and it was in the 20s somewhere, and as my foot came down and I hit the landing and I started to pivot to walk down the stairs, the door opened, and these two guys walked out in front of me, and I grabbed the handle, and I walked right into that office, and I now had clean, fresh air. And I'm hyperventilating, and I'm blinking my eyes, and I'm trying to clean the smoke out of my eyes. And I'm thinking, Yahoo, you know what? I've got clean, fresh air. 
Um, my computer, my overnight bag are upstairs on the 39th floor. I got to go back and pick them up. And so I'm thinking, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to wait here. I'll give it an hour. Uh, I had no idea that an airplane had hit the building. So I had no fear. I had nothing. I didn't know what was going on. And so I thought, well, I'll just sit here and kill an hour and I'll go back upstairs and get my overnight bag and my computer after the fire department gets this thing cleared out. And here I was in, in, in a safe spot completely no harm, everything was fine, and yet I was compelled, and I believe that God, Lord Jesus Christ, came over and put his hand on my shoulder and said, Bob, you need to get out of here. So I then walked back over to the stairs, opened the door, looked down those stairs, couldn't see because of all the smoke, but I was listening for people to yell, get back up, get back up, and I literally stood there and I said, you're about to make a life and death decision. I got to clean fresh air in that office over there. I got to go back upstairs and get my bag. And my hand just involuntarily let go of that handle. And I walked down the stairs. That's why I'm here today. Oh, I absolutely positively believe that there is a power greater than us that uh, communicated. Because there's no logical reason. There's no good reason for me to have chosen the stairs that five minutes before that I thought I was going to suffocate in, and then I'm in a room full of clean, fresh air to go back in the stairs and think I'm going to suffocate. just doesn't make sense. No, There's you had a no guardian, logic. You had a guardian angel that day walking, watching over you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the only reason I'm alive today. Wow. You always wow me with our conversations, Bob. You never know where they're going to go, but they're pretty cool, aren't they? They are pretty cool. Yeah. I'm glad you suggested this. I never expected to be doing a show on this subject matter with you, but it's because when I gave you that book, you know, you're a survivor of 9-11, and 9-11 affected me yeah. in so many ways, <clears throat> and it's detailed what I went through in there. And the first thought was, oh, my God, I'm going to give him this book, and he's going to hate me <laughs> because of the way I talk about it, but... Oh. You know, I remember when you were when I was writing it, and you kept saying, "I'm your 9/11 guy over here. If you need yeah, help, yeah. I'm like, well, how do I talk to Bob about this right now?" Because yeah, no, now I understand. Now, Once I read the book, I was like, "You didn't need my help." No, I oh. needed I needed to nope. figure out how to put it down in words without yeah causing any more harm to people who have gone through it. And None. that and when I handed you when I handed both you and Larry the book that yes, day, yes, I'm like, oh shit, you know, this is this is huge because you guys were there. I wasn't, but I felt like I was a part of it because these spirits that came to me included me in it. Yeah, yeah. And having premonitions beforehand and not understanding it all, it it was powerful when you contacted me and told me that you you were that you liked the book that you you know the first oh. like you said wow you know that was that meant a lot to me that yeah. meant a lot to me and it still does and that's something I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, it was pretty cool, I, and I had no idea what to expect. I had no idea that you had that ability. I had zero idea when I opened the cover of that book. I had no idea what the book was about. None. None. I just opened it on the airplane and started reading it. I apparently scare some people with what's in there after a buddy of mine, Chris, he read the first chapter. He goes, dude, we got to talk. <laughs> He's like, this scared the hell out of me. And I'm like, what? because I moved objects with my mind that scared you. And he, well, he, he comes from a very sensitive spiritual thing. So he, oh. he was making sure that we talked about it because that chapter did scare him. And yeah. 
you think it scared him? It scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, I you know? I would think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah That's yeah. why I've never been able to move objects again because I've shut it completely off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Yeah, that's probably a skill you're not sure you want to have. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was controlled anger doing something, so I don't get angry. I, I don't, you know, after all the death I've had in my life, I don't get angry, so it's, it's interesting. What was the movie with John Travolta where he sat? Oh, come on. Well, Premonition, was it? Um, oh, I know. And he sits and he, he literally just starts with his finger and he spins the pen to the table. And yeah. the guy who plays Data on Star Trek was the uh, was the interrogator from the FBI. Yes. Know. I can't remember the name. I know. It's, is it Phenomenon? Phenomenon. That yeah. was it. That was yeah. it. Phenomenon. That's, That's exactly. And John Travolta sitting there spinning the thing. And he was like, how'd you do that? He goes, I don't know. I just, just, just put the energy and just do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, his was all from a brain tumor, though, and I know I don't have one of those. Yeah. I just have ghosts that like to stick their, their fingers into my brain and play with me. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. I'm okay that as long as they're not bad spirits. And I, like I said, no, I, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the deal. The bad spirits, I can't deal with that. I got no patience for that crap. No, but no. The good ones, the energy, I'm no problem. And it's funny because, you know, 15 years ago, probably wouldn't want to have this conversation. People are like, oh, you're crazy. You're this. I don't give a shit. I don't care. I don't care. Some of those things, it's like, these, these people are tie on crack. Uh, no, we're not. We're not doing any crack here. Not today. No, no. This, they, the spirits found the way into, their, into my crack in the brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it just, you know, like that UFO in 29 Palms. You know, we were, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. We sat there, we saw it, you know. Okay, you don't believe in UFOs? I don't give a shit. I don't care. Yeah, I know what, and that's, again, I'll just go right back to that point. If you believe it to be true, then it is. Nobody can take that away from you. And if you see something, if there's a song that reminds you of that person or, you know, everything. I have people that will come to me and say, I wish I could connect with my loved one. It's like, you can. They may have already tried just pay attention to what goes on. It, it could be any little thing, smells, sounds. Yeah. yeah. You, if you hear their voice and there's no one there, then someone's talking to you and, you know. Well, you said it early in, in this conversation, too. Um, I, I find pennies a lot. And, and when it first started, I was like, this is odd. I'm finding pennies all over the place. And then a girl I was dating a couple of years ago, um, she told me. She said, it's, it's a sign from somebody that you're seeing. Because I'd be like, out of nowhere, five minutes ago, there was no penny on that table. Pennies from heaven. Pennies from heaven, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I do. I find a lot of pennies. And I pick them up, because that's the key. When you see it, you have to pick it up. And uh, and I save them. So I see them a lot. And it's, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a sign. To me, it's just a sign reminding me, kind of like a refresher. Just, oh, yeah, by the way, we're still here. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So I think this is a good place to end this, don't you? Yeah, I do too. Really yeah. feel good. Yeah. Thank you for being here with me today. All right. Well, let's do it. Well, we do it. We do this a couple times a year or so. We'll yeah. Be back. You'll be back. What's I, the next one? I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. We'll have to come up with a topic to talk about. Yeah. I don't know. We'll come up with something. I mean, you're pretty good. You jumped me right off the plane there. Hey, we got to do a show. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. like, this is, I would never expect you to be the person to do that show with, but. I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad you suggested it. Oh, I think uh, it it hit me like a ton of bricks. As soon as you, as soon as I read that line, you know, not afraid to die, so I got to give Robin a call. Got to do it. 
All right, baby, let's close it and get out of here. You got it. Guys, remember to take care of yourself. And above everything, don't fear death. Start living your life to its fullest because that's what it's all about. And our loved ones are really not that far away. Keep talking to them because they'll be with you forever. So take care and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Get Real with Robin. Join Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, each week as they delve into subject matters most are afraid to talk about, but really need to hear. Join us next week here on Star Worldwide Networks as we continue to get real.